that's good, isn't it? Good stuff, man. We're, uh, let's go. We, we, Exodus chapter 18, y'all. Uh, that, that's just, man, it's just, it's good to be here. It's good to have an opportunity for us to dive into God's word together. I do want to let you know about one thing, family. Uh, we, you know, we've been in this, I'm going to move this or else I'll run into it and die. Um, we've been in this series now through the book of Exodus for, I don't know, since, uh, for, for like a year, almost a year, going on a year, maybe right out of year today. I can't remember. Um, but just to let you know, here we are, we're working our way towards uh, Exodus chapter 20 and a little Bible quiz for those of you who maybe know the Bible, have read the Bible, are familiar with the Bible. In Exodus chapter 20, we read something really, really important in the scriptures, uh, which is what? Ten Commandments. You guys are awesome. Gold star for somebody over here. Um, Ten Commandments. So, so, so just sort of a heads up, okay? On September the 15th, on that Sunday, September the 15th, we will be beginning the Ten Commandments, and we're actually going to kick off on that day a series through the Ten Commandments that's going to last for, anybody want to guess how many weeks? You're brilliant. You're so creative. Yes. Um, Ten-week series through the Ten Commandments, walking through each uh, commandment one by one by one. And so, uh, so we hope you'll join us for that. If you're new here, just kind of anticipate that. You'll be hearing more about that uh, here in the next few weeks. We're actually going to be giving you cards to invite friends, to uh, invite neighbors, to bring people. Uh, it's going to be a specific focus series as we as a church journey through uh, the Ten Commandments. And quite frankly, we're living in a day, day and age, man, where most people, even a lot of people in the church, don't even know the Ten Commandments. And here's the deal, family. When we're living in a culture where uh, most people don't even know the Ten Commandments. Can we really be all that, uh, all that surprised? And can we really freak out when it seems like everybody's breaking them, right? So, uh, so we're going we're gonna to do our best to, to walk through the Ten Commandments together as a church and to really ask a really, really important question, which is what in the world, listen, what in the world do the Ten Commandments have to do with Jesus, right? So we hope you'll join us for that series. But uh, before we get to Exodus 20, we got to get to Exodus 18 and 19, all right? So uh, we're in Exodus chapter 18 today. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up. We're going to deal with the, we're going to walk through the first 12 uh, verses of, of Exodus 18. Um, and, and before we get there, just sort of a, a run and start. So, so back a few weeks ago, uh, my, my family and I we went on a, we went on our summer vacation. Uh, and, and it was kind of different. We decided, uh, we decided to rent a house down in, uh, in Southwest Florida, went to Southwest Florida, also known as the most humid place in the world or uh, also known as the surface of the sun. Uh, but we, we, we went to Southwest Florida and it was really cool, man, because we, we, we did this Airbnb deal. Anybody done the Airbnb thing? It's really, you should do it. It's cool. Um, we rented this house that was in, was in a place called Cape Coral, Florida. Nothing real special about Cape Coral, except for the fact that this house was really unique and interesting because uh, it, it was on a canal that came in from the Gulf of Mexico, right? So, uh, so like right behind the house, it was this beautiful canal and on the back of the houses, this canal ran through uh, and it was so awesome. And so we were excited about going there. We get there after this long drive, right? Like driving from, from Atlanta all the way down to Southwest Florida. The day we got there was weird because, you know, we were there for like 20 minutes and then all of a sudden the landlord shows up. 
just un- unannounced, unexpected, landlord shows up and she begins to, she says, hey, listen, I, ju- I just want to run, I just want to run through some house rules and I just want to, uh, I just want to let you know about some details you need to know, house instructions, some details you need to know about the house. So uh, she proceeded to uh, show us how to do the alarm, right, which was helpful. Uh, she, she, she then proceeded to tell us what we should do with our laundry when we're done at the end of the week and, uh, and, and then she showed us how to work the, the TVs because they were kind of complicated and crazy. Um, and then it got weird because she, she's on the way out the door and she says this. She says, oh, listen, one more thing uh, before I leave. I just want to tell you this. Um, it's probably not a good idea for you to go swimming in the canal right behind the house because there is a small microscopic 1% chance that it just might be infested with alligators. At this point, I looked down at my daughters, who are now looking at this lady like this. <laughs> right, totally terrified. I'm like, what just happened? The lady leaves, and, 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 and here's the thing. I don't know about you, man, but I sort of have, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a few rules in life that I like to live by. One of those rules of life is this. If there is a 1% chance that an alligator is in a particular body of water, there is a 0% chance I'm going swimming in that body of water. You know what I'm saying? Amen? So, so I'm like, okay, well, I know, I know I'm not swimming in that, and... Later on, later on in the week, I, I walk out in the garage and I see these fishing, fishing poles up in the corner. And, and so I'm like, hey, I, I'm an outdoorsy kind of guy. <laughs> Let's just read the Bible, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I thought this, but I'm like, I'll, I'll just, hey, there's fishing poles there. I think I'll go fishing. It sounds like a good idea, right? They had fishing poles and some lures. Is that what you call them, lures? Um, whatever it is, I don't care. Uh, so I'm going to go fishing. So I grab a couple of these fishing rods. And I walk into the house and I see my 13-year-old daughter, Annabelle, sitting there. And I say, hey, baby, listen, don't you want to go? Why don't you go fishing with your dad? Let's go fishing. Let's make a memory, baby. We're on vacation. Let's go fishing in the canal. And she's like, but, Daddy, what about the alligators? I said, there ain't no alligators in that canal. That lady don't know what she's talking about. She's paranoid. There ain't no alligators. Come on. Let's just go make a memory. And it was like, okay, Daddy, I trust you, right? <laughs> so we go outside, and, and we're, I, I, I actually taught her. I taught her, y'all. I taught her how to cast a rod. So stop it, okay? And uh, so she, we're, we're casting out the rods, and, and we're reeling in the things. And, and then at some point, uh, we're standing on the edge of this dock, right? The dock right there is, is on the edge of the canal. And at some point, Annabelle's reeling in her, her, her fishing rod, and uh, she's reeling the line in. And then all of a sudden, as she gets it close, we see the rod do this, like it, like it bent, like it, like it bent crazy. And she, she pulls it like it, it, it bends like crazy. And so instantly, when it bends like that and tugs, like, 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 like this huge tug, my daughter responds by throwing the fishing rod down, running away and screaming at the top of her lungs, I caught an alligator, I caught an alligator, I caught an alligator. At which point I respond to that by throwing down my fishing rod, (laughs) running towards the house and screaming at her, just go in the house and hide. Which I don't even know why I said that. Like the alligator's going to come looking for us, you know, under couches and stuff. This is the first thing that came to mind, okay? I get towards the house, and then I don't go inside. Instead, I, I turn around, and I'm looking at these fishing rods. These fishing rods aren't ours. They belong to the homeowners. So we got, 
So I'm watching these fishing rods going, I got to get these fishing rods. And I notice that they're not moving. They're just sitting there. So I'm like, okay, well, even though I'm terrified, I, I tiptoe over towards her fishing rod where her fishing rod was. And, and I'm like, okay, let me, let, me get it, let me try it one more time. And so I picked up her fishing rod and I pulled it and it bent again and it tugged. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, an alligator has eaten this line and I'm next and this is not good and I don't know what to do. And, uh, and so I dropped, I dropped the fishing rod again and, uh, and then I tiptoe up to the edge, just kind of peek. And that's when I see that my, that my, my daughter's hook is stuck in the dock. <laughs> right? She didn't catch an alligator. She caught the dock. Right? So I'm like, all right, well, I bend down and I unhook it from the dock and I pick up the fishing rods and I walk inside. And my 13-year-old daughter is sort of, she's scared. She's sort of hysterical. And my wife is there comforting her. My wife looks at me as I walk in the house. She said, Anson, what in the world happened? Annabelle said that you guys saw an alligator. And I looked at my wife and I said, don't worry, sweetie, I took care of it. <laughs> Here's why I tell you that story. <laughs> besides the fact that uh, you laugh at my pain, okay? Here's, here's why I tell you that story, family. At that moment when I found out there was no alligator, uh, that brought me a lot of joy, right? That brought me a lot of peace. I was very, very excited that the truth was that there wasn't, there wasn't an alligator, right? I mean, I mean, the truth, think about this, the truth brought my troubled heart peace. You ever, you ever had a moment like that? You ever had a moment where, where, where your heart was troubled and your heart was anxious, but then you learn the truth, right? You learn the truth and the truth was able to, to somehow, some way bring your troubled heart peace. That's what happened to me. The, the truth brought my troubled heart a whole lot of peace. Now, just so you know, beloved, this is exactly what brings us to Exodus chapter 18. Okay. And here's what I mean. Hang with me for a second. It's so cool. Listen, when we get to Exodus chapter 18, we're going to encounter this man who, who's going to see the truth. He's going to come face to face with the truth, right? His eyes are going to be opened up to the truth, and that truth is going to bring his really troubled heart a whole lot of peace, right? That's what's about to happen as we enter into this incredible chapter in the book of Exodus. So let me show you what, what I'm talking about, beloved. Exodus 18, again, verse 1, and, and, and before we dive in, for those of you who may be new and, and or for those of you who maybe, you know, you, you've been out and you've been gone and, and now school's starting back, so you're, you're back in the routine, uh, here's what you need to know when we get to this text. Very, very important. So at this moment in, in the scriptures, in the book of Exodus, there's like, you know, there's about two million uh, Israelites, all of them former slaves. We're talking men, women, children, uh, senior citizens, right? All of them former slaves, and, and they're walking in the desert having just been freed from, from slavery in Egypt by Yahweh, by the Lord. They're being led by, by Moses, Yahweh's servant, the Lord's servant, right? And, and as we've seen over the past few weeks, I don't know if you've been here, man, but if, you, if, if you've been here the past few weeks, here's what we've observed. It's been kind of crazy because God, listen, God has been so good to these people, y'all. I mean, over and over and over again, what we find is we find the grace of God in, in, in God's, uh, God's good disposition, his, his good heart, his gracious heart towards his people who don't deserve it. For example, think about what's happened over the past few weeks, even as we've been walking through the book of Exodus. First of all, obviously, we saw that God freed his people from, from Pharaoh and, 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 and slavery in Egypt, which was amazing. And then when they're out in the wilderness, man, they're hungry. And so God provides food for them, even though they're grumbling and they're complaining and they're, and they're, and they're you know, just, just running their mouths at, uh, towards the Lord and towards the servant. God provides food for them from the sky, man, manna from heaven when they're hungry. It's a miracle. 
They get thirsty, they need water. God provides water from a rock, man, of all things. God gives them water from a rock when they get thirsty. And as we saw last week, if you were here, man, last Sunday we saw that the Lord has just given them the victory over a very powerful army that that just attacked them for no reason. And so what what I want you to see, family, is is that over and over and over again, get this, over and over again, God has been better to these people than they deserve. Can anybody relate? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how even though we, we choose our way consistently over the Lord's and we rebel and we kick against his will and we get all blinded by our own idols, our own idolatry and selfishness, isn't it incredible that day after day after day the Lord's mercies are new? Like he's better to us than we deserve and we're seeing that clearly with these people. He's been better to them than they deserve and that, that's when this happens. Check out verse one of, of, of chapter 18, beloved. Watch what happens here. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. Think about that for a second. In a day before Twitter or the internet or, or mass communications or telephones or anything like that, God's goodness has been so, uh, so real and so overwhelming to this group of people that news has traveled everywhere. Like, like even, even Jethro has heard of it, Right? Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh, verse five, Jethro, watch this, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now, now, now time out for a second, family. Pay close attention to what's happening right here, okay? We need to do some work on these first five verses because this is really important in understanding the significance of what's about to happen here, okay? So get this. According to the Bible, At some point, and we're not explicitly told this in the book of Exodus, but we deduce it from what we just read. Uh, According to the scriptures, at some point during the 10 plagues, as God's dropping 10 plagues down on Egypt, Moses had decided to send his wife and his two sons back to the land of Midian to to stay with his father-in-law. And if you think about it, man, I mean, this kind of makes a whole lot of sense because it was probably out of concern for their safety, right? So if you're like, like if you're a dad or a husband here, you can totally get this, right? If you're in a land and God is like, I'm about to drop some plagues on this junk and it is not gonna be pretty, you're, you're thinking, hey, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get my family as far away from here as possible to make sure they're safe, right? So, so some of this kind of makes sense, right? But, but here's the thing. Now we're at a point where the plagues are over, right? All the, the Egyptians are dead, Pharaoh's dead, and his army's dead, and, and the Red Sea has been, has been crossed, and now we've got all these Israelites, they're, they're all camping on the other side of the Red Sea, and now, watch this, now Moses' father-in-law, 
His father-in-law, who was most likely a NASCAR fan, because his name was Jethro, but that's immaterial, neither here nor there. Uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, is, is, is bringing Moses' family back to Moses. That's what's happening, right? Zipporah and the two sons have been staying with him, and now that he knows that, okay, the dust has cleared a little bit. He hears about it, and he's like, I'm going to take them back to their, to their daddy, to, to her husband, right? So, so now, you need to understand something very specific, okay? You, you need to get this that there's something we're told about this cat Jethro right here that is really, really important, okay? First of all, Jethro is from the land of Midian. This is an important detail. Jethro is from Midian, and in the land of Midian, the people do not worship Yahweh. You gotta get that. The people in the land of ancient Midian do not worship the God of the Bible. In fact, family, in the land of ancient Midian, the, the people, uh, virtually all the people who are religious in Midian are, are, are poly, polytheistic, okay? They're, they're polytheists, which, which essentially, just you know, is just a really big theological fancy word that basically means they had a whole bunch of gods they worshiped. They didn't just worship one God, right? They weren't monotheists. They didn't just have one God that they believe was over everything and in charge of everything. Rather, man, they worshipped all kinds of gods. In fact, family, the idea, to, to an ancient Midianite, the idea that there was just one God, just one, who was the creator of everything and the sustainer of everything and made everything go, that was crazy. They had no concept for that idea. That they, worshiped, they had a God for everything, man, for the crops, for the sky, for the, for the storms, right? They, they worshipped all kinds of gods. Now, to top it all off, Notice what we're specifically told about this dude Jethro in verse 1, family. Look at verse 1 again. Look at what it says. It tells us right in the first few words. Jethro is the priest of Midian. All right, so think about that for a second. This dude is the priest of Midian, meaning, beloved, Jethro is an evangelist for a false religion. That's what that means. That's what that means. Jethro is, is literally, man, a preacher who is preaching about all these little G gods, right, that, that, are, that are enemies of Yahweh. He, he's, 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 he's the one who spends his life propagating this, this idea about these false gods, worshiping these false gods. He's like the poster child, man. He's the priest of Midian. He's the poster child for what these ancient Midianites believe. Like, listen, Jethro is to Midian what, you know, Tom Cruise is to Scientology, right? He's like poster child, poster kid. You think, you think Scientology? Tom Cruise? You, you think false religion in Midian? Jethro, he's the priest. So the point that I want you to get is this, family. Understand this. Moses' worldview and Jethro's worldview are two very, very, very different things. You got to get this. Meaning, beloved, the way that Moses sees the world and where we came from and why the sky is there and, and what life is all about and, and spirituality, right? The way that Moses views those things and the way that Jethro views those things are in two different galaxies, man. They're as far apart as you can possibly get. They have two extremely different opinions, worldviews, beliefs, on and on and on. But fascinatingly, watch what happens in verse 6. Check this out, family. Watch what happens in verse 6. Look at it closely. And when Jethro, 
sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses rolled his eyes and said, oh great, here comes that stupid old pagan fool who worships false gods and listens to secular music and only votes for pro-choice candidates and doesn't say Merry Christmas and thinks he's going to heaven simply because he recycles. What an idiot. I think I'll tell him he's going to hell. Well, he didn't say that. And I, that's a curveball. I thought I was going to say that. Isn't that what we think sometimes? It's weird. That's not what it says at all. Instead, what does it say? Well, look at it again, family. Verse 6. And when, and when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they went into the tent. In other words, family, Moses shows this pagan, godless priest honor. Don't miss his family. Moses shows this pagan priest respect. Huh. Moses treats this pagan priest with an incredible amount of Human dignity and even humility. And to top it all off, beloved, Moses treats this non-believing man with love. He goes out, he greets him, he bows down, he kisses him, he asks him about his welfare. I wonder, I wonder, are we a people who are specifically known for how we love not just one another in the church who believe like we believe and think like we think, but rather, family, are we actually a people who are known for how we love people who are non-believers and think nothing like us? Do not believe what we believe. Do not think what we think, do not get fired up about the things we get fired up about? Are we known as people who love people who aren't, according to the culture's definition, anyway, our people? Think about it, family. What immediately comes to your mind when you think about people who are different from you? What immediately comes to your mind when you think about those who you know, you know, man, don't believe what you believe, do not think what you think. Don't stand on the platform you stand on. They don't vote how you vote. What comes to your mind when you think about the LGBT community? What comes to your mind when you think about a Mormon? What comes to your mind when you think about a militant atheist? What comes to your mind when you think about Donald J. Trump 
or Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or anyone, anyone who has a completely different worldview than you. I wonder, family, I wonder, do you tend to see people who are different from you as the enemy? Do we fall into the cultural trap of believing that people who don't think like we think and believe like we believe are just, they're the opposition, they're the ones with the black hats, we're the one with the white hats, we're on different teams, we're enemies, or instead, beloved, instead, do you tend to see people who are different from you as precious creatures who were created on purpose in the image and likeness of God and who just like all of us desperately need to taste the grace of Jesus. See, beloved, listen, here's what's so curious. Here's the reality, man. What we're actually seeing from from Moses right here, get this, what we're seeing from Moses is a whole lot like what we're always seeing from Jesus over the New Testament. That's to me what's so powerful about this text and this picture, this snapshot that's happening in Exodus. This is a whole lot like what we see from Jesus in the New Testament. In humility, get this family, in humility, Moses is treating someone who has no regard for his God whatsoever with dignity and with respect and with honor and with love. And it could have gone very differently. I mean, yeah, y'all, let's think about this. If anybody... If anybody could have been tempted to get prideful at this point, it's our boy Moses, right? You think about all Moses has been through, you think about all Moses has seen, you think about how the Lord has used this cat, right? I mean, how many of us doesn't want to be used by God in as powerful a way like this? I mean, this is amazing, right? This is, this is like a hall of fame right here, right? I mean, who are we kidding, family? It would have been really, really easy for Moses to say something oh, like, uh, you know, oh, oh, really? Oh, really? Jethro's coming to see me? He's coming to see me, the guy who just led a bunch of ragtag slaves to victory against the most powerful army in the world. He's coming to see me? Well, maybe I'll let him kiss my ring, call me Godfather. He's lucky. It could have gone way differently, family, but instead, watch this, instead, Moses, much like Jesus does, What does he do? What do we see him doing? He opens up his arms really, really, really wide in loving hospitality to a spiritually lost man who desperately needs to know the one true God. Come on, Jethro. You're welcome here, Jethro. I love you, Jethro. And see, family, listen, there's actually a really powerful lesson that we should all learn from our boy Moses right here, and it's this. Can I just throw this out there? Listen, um, I want to propose something to you. Uh, as Christians, those of us who are, and I'm not, I'm not making the assumption that all of us are, because I know that some of us in here aren't. We're just kind of here kicking the tires, and we're glad you're here. But listen, for those of us in here who love Jesus, follow Jesus, adore Jesus, and we're just really fired up by Jesus, can I just tell you this? As Christians, we should be a people who go out of our way to love people and to honor people wherever they may be simply because they are people who have been intentionally created in the image and likeness of God. Think about it. Anybody in here ever read the Gospel of John? Anybody? If you go to church here, we we spent about five years there one time. Um, 
isn't this exactly what Jesus is talking about back in John, or over in John chapter 13 when Jesus, remember when Jesus has this amazing statement where Jesus in John 13, he says to his disciples, he says, hey, get, get this, the whole world, the whole world will know that you are my disciples because of your, what, anybody know? Love. Dude, have you, ever, have you ever just meditated on the power, the power in that statement? The significance of that. Just like, I'm, I'm telling you, like the whole world's gonna know that you're mine. They're gonna know that you're mine and the way they're gonna know that you're mine is by how you love people. I, I do, um, every summer I do, a, I go preach at a couple of summer camps for uh, high school students and I love it. It's fun. I have a blast doing it, man. It, it's, it's, there's just something really fun and rejuvenating about being able to stand in front of teenagers for a few hours a day and yell at them. I just love it. It's awesome. But there's one thing, listen, there's one thing about these camps I totally despise. Actually, two things. The accommodations, usually, I totally despise. Uh, but another thing that I totally despise about these camps is uh, the Christian t-shirt table. I hate it. I despise the Christian t-shirt table. There, there's always, at most of these camps I go to, there's a Christian t-shirt table where they're selling Christian t-shirts because Christian t-shirts are so much better than those evil secular shirts, <laughs> right? And, um, and these Christian t-shirts, the reason I despise this table most of the time is because I have yet, listen, I've been alive for some 41 and, and, and plus years and I have yet to find a Christian t-shirt that didn't just embarrass all of Christendom. Give an example of some of these Christian t-shirts I've seen being sold here recently at some of these camps. Here's why I hate this. Uh, here's this one. Uh, stay out of hell free card. <laughs> Facebook. Wait, wait, wait. Hang out, hang out on this. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Go back. Go back. What, what are you doing? Huh? Facebook. Jesus wants to put you in his book. Do you accept? because there's nothing quite like mixing social media and really bad theology, right? Um, here's one of my favorite. I put the stud in Bible study. Let me tell you something. Hold on. Let, let me tell you something. Hey, here's the deal. Check this. I'll leave this up here. Here's the deal. Can I just tell you something? If you're wearing a t-shirt that says you put the stud in Bible study, guess what? No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You put the single in single is what you did, right? That's what you did. I'm just saying. You put the lame in lame. Um, how about this one? God wants you to be saved. You see, what, you see what they did there? God wants you to be saved. I want to look at the guy who made up that t-shirt and say, okay, well, guess what? God wants you to repent, right? Um, oh, this is when you love Star Wars, but you also love Jesus, you do this. The faith is strong with this one. Lord, help us. Straight out of God's word. Deal with it. Mm. Gangster for Jesus, yo. Um, I love this one. Noah, I'm flooding it. <laughs> McDonald's. You get it, McDonald's, I'm loving it. Noah. Here's the point. Get that out of here. Here's the point. Thankfully... Jesus did not say the whole world will know you by your shirts. <laughs> Thankfully, he did not say the whole world is going to know you belong to me, going to know you're my disciples by 
You're closed, but instead, beloved, you read the scriptures, man. You read the words of our great God and Savior, Jesus. Jesus clearly told this man that the whole world is gonna know that we belong to him by our love. So consequently, wait for this, consequently, we should be a people who go out of our way every single day, man, to love people and to honor people wherever they are simply because they have been intentionally on purpose, created fearfully and wonderfully made by God and his image, and his likeness. Now, having said that, I need to, I need to complete what's going on in, in Exodus 18, okay? Because it doesn't end there. We need to go out of our way to love people where they are, to show hospitality to people where they are, to open up our arms in relationship to people where they are. But just to be clear, beloved, Contrary to what some people out there in the culture believe, listen, to love someone does not mean to be silent about the truth. Now, I want to be real careful here because this point that I'm about to preach on, here's what we got to be careful. Here's what we got to be careful. The point that I'm about to preach on, some of us love it a whole lot more and get far more excited about it than we do the previous point. But they both matter. We need to love people where they are, just like Moses, show honor, show respect, show humility, a willingness to have relationship with those who are godless and don't believe like we do or think like we do. And at the same time, we need to understand that to love someone does not mean to be silent about the truth. That is not what it means. Think about it, family. See if you'd agree with this. There has never, ever, ever, ever in the history of the world ever been anyone as loving or more loving than Jesus. Anybody agree with that? Anybody? Ever. Like I'm just telling you, when the perfect sinless son of God allows his veins to be opened up, stripped open, bleed out for our sin, though we don't deserve it. Like nobody's loved us like that. There has never, ever, ever been anyone in the history of the world more loving than Jesus. And guess what? At the very same time, there has never, ever, ever been anyone in the history of the world more willing to tell the truth than Jesus. Anybody agree with that? What do we read in the text, man? What do we read in the scriptures? Listen, the same Jesus who said, neither do I condemn you, your sins are forgiven, is the very same Jesus who said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and nobody gets the Father except through me. Same Jesus said that. Never been anyone more loving than Jesus, never been anyone more willing to tell the truth than Jesus, so so clearly, clearly, to love someone does not mean to avoid speaking the truth or to ignore the truth or to somehow water down the truth. You never see Jesus doing that. Let me say it this way, family. Maybe this will be helpful. Hopefully it will be. Love does not equal acceptance or celebration of sin. Yours, mine, the culture's. No, listen. Love does not equal acceptance and celebration of sin. Rather, family, listen, love equals a willingness to have a relationship. Did you get that? For you to love me, that does not mean you are to accept my sin or celebrate my sin or ignore my sin. For you to love me means you, you are willing 
to have a relationship with a broken person who needs to taste the grace of Christ. Think about it this way. Think about for a moment how Jesus relates to you. Think about for a moment how Jesus relates to me. Think about this, family. Jesus, I don't know if you've read the Bible recently, but I'm just telling you, this might be news to you. Jesus wants a relationship with you. Isn't that clear and evident from the scriptures, right? I mean, and, and it, you know, it, it has its you know, entire you know, climax at the cross, right? I mean, it's clear in the scriptures. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. He totally wants that, man. He wants a relationship with you, but in no way does Jesus accept or celebrate or ignore your sin. But instead, what does Jesus do? Jesus always points us to truth. You are a sinner, The cross is for you. My blood was shed for you. Repent. Confess me. Confess with your mouth that I am Lord. Believe in your heart. I've risen from the dead. You'll be saved, right? Jesus always points us to truth. Why does he do that? Well, here's why, family. It's because biblical love will always, always, always point others to the truth. Biblical love always does that. And follow this. This is exactly what our boy Moses is about to do. That's what I so love about this text. It's not just full of human sentiment. It's not just, oh man, my father-in-law's coming and we're father my father-in-law and I'm his son-in-law and blood's thick in water and hugs, hugs and kisses, kisses and how you doing and small talk and man, how's the, how, how's, how's the Midian Knights doing in football, right? And he doesn't just make small talk. And, no, no, no. Watch what Moses does in verse 8. He's going out to greet him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He bows down to him. He asks him, how's your welfare? He brings him into his tent, shows him hospitality. Verse 8 says this. Then Moses, what's that next word, family? One more time. What's that next word? Told. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how Yahweh had delivered them. Now, here's the deal, family. Just to be clear, this would have been an awkward conversation. And I get it, dude. We live in 2019 America and the suburbs of Atlanta. So some of the cultural significance of this and the context of this is lost on us, which is why we're trying to do some work right now. You got to understand, family, from a biblical historical vantage point, this would have been an incredibly awkward conversation. Think about it, man. Sitting down to tell a pagan polytheistic priest who's been worshiping and serving and giving to his false gods for decades, for decades, telling him about how good and wonderful and faithful and true and strong and all-powerful the one and only God, Yahweh, is. That's a little awkward. Oh, and to add to the awkwardness, he's not a stranger. Dude's your father-in-law. Imagine having a conversation like this with your father-in-law. This would have been an awkward conversation, but here's the thing, beloved. Listen, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Christian, listen to me today. Follower of Jesus, please hear me today. Just because a conversation might be awkward, that does not mean you shouldn't have it.
Moses moves in to an incredibly awkward space because he cannot deny the truth and he will not deny the truth of who his God is. But let's just be clear, we, we ain't out here on the other side of the Red Sea because I'm a good warrior. Moses like, bro, I'm 80-something years old. This isn't about me. This isn't about what I did, what I pulled off. Let's just be clear about why we're here. And he enters into that awkward space. Now look at verse 9, family. Check out verse 9. It's so powerful. Look at this. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Yahweh had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be Yahweh who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods. Come on, Jethro, testify. Now I know that, you, that, that, that the Yahweh is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. You see what just happened? Don't miss this family. Don't miss the significance of what we just saw here. We skirt, see, we read the Bible, we skirt by, and we just keep going, and we ignore what's happening. Do not miss the significance of what just happened, beloved. Listen, right before our eyes, Jethro just became a Christian. Brother just became a Christian, meaning Jethro just became a worshiper of the God who is the father of Jesus Christ, which is another way of saying Jethro, the priest of Midian, y'all, just became a Christian. A primary, listen, a primary leader of a false religion just became a Christian. And it was all because, why? Our boy Moses was willing to love his father-in-law where he was and then to have a very awkward conversation. And if there is someone in your life, man, who your heart is breaking for because you love them and you so want them to taste the grace of Jesus, let me tell you something, beloved. This text should give you hope. A text like this should fire you up to remind you that God is faithful. He's faithful. Beloved, I wonder, think about this. I wonder, when is the last time, dude, when's the last time that you were willing to just open up your mouth and just tell somebody else all that Jesus has done for you? That's all Moses is doing here, man. Hey, 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 listen, Jethro, buddy, uh, check this out. Turn off the NASCAR race, listen up, because this is a big deal, bro. I got to tell you all the details of what, what the Lord has done. I got to tell you all, I got all the nitty-gritty details of how Yahweh, how my God has been real faithful. Beloved, when's the last time that you were willing to open up your mouth and just tell somebody about all that Jesus has done for you? Um, earlier this week, I was, um, I got hooked on a show on Netflix. How many of y'all heard of Netflix? Anybody? Okay, cool. Just make sure you're with me. Um, I got, I got hooked on this show uh, called uh, The Hunt. Anybody seen The Hunt on Netflix? It's my new favorite show. I can't turn it off. I can't turn off The Hunt. The Hunt is a docu- it's documentary style, and it is all about uh, animals hunting for other animals. 
It's, 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 the cameras are following these, these, uh, these fierce predators as they stalk for prey and, and as they're looking for food and as they're looking to sneak up on other animals and attack them. And, and I'm watching, I can't turn it off and I'm totally addicted to it. Like it's amazing and I love cinematography and, and, and the narrator's British, so you know that's got me right. And, and it's just like everything about this show is just amazing. And, and it sucks me in. It kind of hypnotized me. And so this past Thursday afternoon, I'm, I'm in our in our living room and I'm watching the the hunt, man. And 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 it's this it's this moment where these wildebeests are in Africa, and these wildebeests are all gathered by this river in Africa, and they're all bending down to take a little sip of water. And I'm sitting here waiting for the action because I know something bloody about to go down. I can't wait, right? And I'm watching this thing, and and then all of a sudden, my youngest daughter, my eight year old daughter Madeline, walks in the room, and she, all she she looks at the TV, all she sees is, oh, a bunch of cute, cuddly, nice, innocent wildebeest drinking out of a river. This looks like fun television. I'm watching this show, waiting for something to happen. She says to me over here, Daddy, can I watch this with you? Me, totally distracted by the show, I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever. She begins to watch the show, and that is when a 400-pound crocodile jumps out of the river, grabs a wildebeest by its neck, drags the wildebeest kicking and screaming and bleeding into the river. And that is when my eight-year-old daughter ran out of the room crying. (laughs) And as I'm watching her scream and cry and run away, I had this thought cross my mind. (laughs) Maybe I should have said something. Man, you know what? I blew it. I I probably should have warned her. Miss, I don't know. I don't know about you. I was thinking about this this week. I do not want to get to the end of my life, whenever that might be, and to look back on all of the spiritually lost people that I crossed paths with throughout my life, neighbors and friends and family and coworkers, and have this thought run through my mind. Man, why didn't I say something? Why didn't I open my mouth if this was so real to me? Why didn't I just say, why didn't I tell them about my Jesus? Why didn't I just invite them to come to church to hear the gospel? Why didn't I just warn them? Why didn't I just tell them about how good the Lord has been to me? But beloved, here's the deal. Somewhere along the line, here's the question we all need to ask ourselves. Do we really believe that if we are just faithful to love others like Jesus and pursue them in relationship with hospitality like Jesus and to enter into an awkward conversation with them, God is more than able to perform the miracle of salvation. Do I believe that or is that simply a bullet point in an evangelism class that I take in the summer? Now look at verse 12, family. This is my favorite. Watch this, verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Watch this. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. In other words, family, here's what just happened. Let me say this. Jethro just went from faith to fellowship. Do you see it? 
Jethro just went from faith to a member of the family. Brother man just got a new family. He, he's brought into the family. Jethro, by faith, has now been brought in to the family of God. I believe, I trust, now I know that he's greater than other gods. Here's my sacrifice. I'm in, and he's, he's sat down at a table, and, and all the other brothers come alongside of him, and they break bread, specifically, we're told, before God. He's got a new family. I wonder, family, listen, I wonder, do you see the church? Do you, this place right here, man, this stuff, this, this stuff, right? Do you see this as far, as far more than just being something that you do on Sunday, a place where you go on Sunday and we all collectively assemble on Sunday, but rather, family, listen, do you see church as a family? Do we really see this place and these people and this thing that God's doing as, as a family? But listen, did, did you know that the Bible, this book right here that we're preaching out of, that we talk about, that we love, right? This book right here clearly tells us over and over and over and over again, on repeat, man, that the church is actually a family for every single person who has been saved by grace. Did you know that? That is not just weird talk from spiritual leader. Hey, we're a family. We're a family. And everybody drink the Kool-Aid. Wear white tennis shoes. Let's go down to sleep, right? No. We are told in the scriptures by God that this thing he's building is a family. Even more than it's a movement, it's a family. It's a family. We're told it all throughout the scriptures. For, for, for example, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, we are told that our God is a loving father and that we are his kids who have been lavished with fatherly love. Additionally, in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, we are commanded to love one another with, quote, brotherly affection. In the gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says that those who do the will of God, meaning those who are a part of his church, are literally, he says, Jesus says, his brothers and his sisters. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says that the church is quite literally the, quote, household of God. Think about this, bro. This is God's house. We are God's household. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says that Christian men should treat younger women as, quote, sisters with absolute Purity. And to top it all off, man, most famously, John chapter 3 says that at the moment we confess our sins, repent, and place our faith and trust in Jesus, we are born again, just like a baby is born into a loving family. And on and on and on it goes, family. According to the Bible, this church right here is not just an organization, and it is not merely a religious institution, and it is not simply a tax-exempt 501 C3. This is a family. God's family, his household, these building. Now, it ain't a perfect family. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Mama see, mama saw, mama saw, right? It ain't a perfect family. But what family is? Is your family perfect? Everything's fine and completely perfect and hunky-dory down in your household? 
See, we're all sinners and we all stumble in many ways. James, the half-brother of Jesus says in James chapter 3, we, we all stumble in many ways. And so this side of heaven, this will not be a perfect family. The household of God will not be uh, completely perfect. But let me tell you something. We are spotless because of the blood of Jesus. See, here's the reality, beloved. Every single local church in the world is a family. Not a perfect family, but it's a family. Every church is a family. The question is simply this. Is it a healthy family or is it an unhealthy family? That's just the question. Is it, we know it's a family. We know the church is a family. We know every local church is a family. So the question becomes, is it a, is it a healthy family or an unhealthy family? So, so as we finish up... Family, I just want to give you six specific characteristics or qualities that make a church family a healthy family. You ready? So if you got a pen, jot these down real quickly. Take opious notes. We're going to be done. Six characteristics or qualities that make a church family a healthy family. Real quickly, here they are, beloved. Number one, number one, a healthy family is joined together by something far greater than our own personal preferences. To put it another way, you ever notice this? <clears throat> because we're a family, think about your own family, but because we're family, there are certain things you're just willing to put up with. Amen? How many of you have a spouse that's ever done anything to annoy you? Raise your hand. That's a trap. Baby, I didn't raise my hand. I raised my hand. You're perfect. My queen over there just... Totally perfect. No, but isn't that, isn't that true? Family annoys us. Oh, we, 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 every single member of our family does at least one thing that we're like, oh, that just drives me nuts. But you know what? We don't bail. We don't look at them and go, man, you know what? That, man, that really annoys me that they do that. You know what? I'm just, I'm going to go start a new family over here. Forget that family, y'all annoying family. I'm going to start a new family. Listen, beloved, can I tell you something? Check this out. In the same way that it is really dumb for a husband to leave his wife because she squeezes the toothpaste tube from the top instead of the bottom. Stop nudging each other, I see you. In the same way that that is really dumb, can I tell you something, family? It is really dumb for a Christian to bail out on their church family for some really lame preference. What are you doing? It's preference, man. I don't like the way they did that song. I don't like the music. I don't really like the carpet, man. I don't like the way the sign is. Did you see the building? It's like some weird warehouse, and when it thunders, it's loud. I don't like the pastor's hair or lack of hair. I don't like how that guy talked to me or didn't talk to me or maybe sort of talked to me, but what he said I didn't like. We're a family. We're a family. And we're not perfect family, but we're a family. And you know what? Family, a healthy family is joined together by something far greater and more powerful than our personal preferences. We're joined together by the blood of Christ. When the blood of Jesus isn't more powerful than our own personal preferences, we might have a pride problem. I got a laugh from the baby. That's good. <laughs> got a laugh from the baby. I'm, I win, bucket list. <laughs> a second quality that makes a church a healthy family is this. Beloved, number two, number two, a healthy family doesn't always get along, but we've, we've always got each other's back. <laughs> I just got to preach, man. That's cute. 
Listen, every single family in the world has moments when they disagree. Amen? Every family in the world has moments when they disagree. But you know what? Here's the thing about healthy families. Healthy families always deal with disagreements in mature ways. You know know the crazy thing about healthy families? Healthy families don't tend to deal with their disagreements by blogging about it, (laughs) right? Healthy families don't tend to deal with disagreements by putting up Facebook posts that you can read into, right? Healthy families tend to deal with their disagreements in mature ways, like, for example, by having adult conversations face-to-face or by giving the benefit of the doubt, which is sort of a lost art in 2019 America, or, or by, shockingly, most of all, forgiving each other like Jesus, a healthy family doesn't always get along, but we've always got each other's back. How, how many of y'all knew what it was like? Like you, when you were growing up, you had a sister and you could talk about her and, 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 and be mean to her and all that stuff. But as soon as the neighbor kid did it, you got a problem, right? We don't always get along, but I've always got your back. A third quality that makes a church a healthy family is this family. Get this, number three, number three. A healthy family gets fed even when they're not hungry. Let me tell you something, beloved. I love, I love my mother-in-law. She listens to this podcast. So I love my, my mother-in-law. I love her. She's a godly woman. I love my mother-in-law. But listen, she is a food pusher. Anybody got a food pusher in their family? You know what I'm talking about? Eat, 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 right? We'll go down to Macon. She's an unbelievable cook, man. We'll go down to Macon, and she will cook a feast every time we go down there, man. She will cook chick, you know, country fried steak and fried okra and turnip greens and, and rice and, and, and fresh biscuits, homemade biscuits and, and sweet tea. Sweet tea, man, it's so thick. You can pour it over pancakes, right? It's just like crazy sweet. I don't know what's in it. And, and she'll cook this feast, and she'll put it in front of us, and I will eat and eat and eat and eat and eat until I feel like I need to have my stomach pumped because I'm so full and miserable. And then it's at that point where she'll look at me and go, it's time for pie. <laughs> I made you your favorite blueberry pie. It's time for pie. Worked all day making you this pie. I'm like, no, ma'am, I can't eat the pie. I can't eat the pie. I had too much. I had so much country fried steak. I got, I got gravy coming out my nose. <laughs> I'm crying turnip green juice. I just, I just can't. I can't. I've eaten too much. I can't have the pie. And she's like, don't back talk me, boy. You're going to eat my pie. <laughs> and so I eat the pie, and I go to sleep for like a day. <laughs> it's like wrecked. But you know what's cool about that family? Can I just tell you this? Here's the point. A healthy family will always be getting fed. A healthy family is always going to have tons of food. And so, and so listen, if a church is going to be a healthy family, there must be lots of access to a lot of really solid food, solid spiritual meat and milk, as the Apostle Paul calls it in the Scriptures, spiritual food like robust, faithful Bible teaching, plenty of opportunities to be in community with one another, to love one another, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, as it says in the book of Hebrews, to plenty of opportunities to serve one another in, in love and humility, and, and plenty of opportunities to go deeper in our knowledge and appreciation and understanding of the word of God. Family, listen, a healthy family will always have food all around, food to spare. A healthy family is always gonna be just filled and infused with the Bible and love. (laughs) Additionally, a fourth quality that makes the church a healthy family is this, beloved, number four, a healthy family welcomes new members with joy. A healthy family welcomes new members with joy, man. I remember... Back, back, back a few years ago, there was this, 
There was this family, man, this family who'd been part of our church since we planted, since we were just meeting in a gym over off Satellite Boulevard uh, nine years ago, man, when there's like 30, 40 people in the room. And um, a few years ago, man, they set up this appointment with me and came to my office. The lady, she, she started off and she said, Pastor Anson, we just wanted to let you know that we're going to be leaving the church. I'm like, oh, man. Man, that hurt. Really? You're going to leave the church? Why, why would happen? Did we not love you the way that you should have been loved? Did we drop the ball somewhere? Have you, have you not been, have people not supported you or prayed for you? Have you not been getting the gospel? Have we been unfaithful in the scriptures? Like, like, like have you not had community? Like, what's going, what's going on? Why are you leaving? She said, to me, she said to me this. She said, no. She said, no, it's not any of that. It's just, there's too many new people here. Hold up, what? There's too many new people here. We liked it better when it was just, we were in a gym, there's 40 of us, and we're just like loving Jesus. There's just too many new people here. A lot of these people coming in, I don't even know them. There's just too many new people. And I'm like, well, bye. Just for a second, let's think about the craziness of that statement. Think about this. That, that's like being in the delivery room, right, when a baby is being born, and the doctor hands you the newborn baby, and you look at your newborn baby and say, why are you here? <laughs> you were just fine until you showed up. Now I've got to get to know you and talk to you and build a relationship with you. You realize how inconvenient this is going to be? Doctor, put him back. <laughs> what? We don't tell babies to go back where they came from. No, listen, a healthy family, you know what a healthy family does? We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We love it when new members of the family are added, right? New members of the family bring joy because it's evidence that God's doing a work. God's doing a work. (laughs) Additionally, a fifth quality that makes a church a healthy family is this family. Number five, number five, we're almost done. Number five, a healthy family doesn't allow dysfunctional members to call the shots. Ha <laughs> Beloved, listen, nobody lets their crazy uncle plan family vacation. Amen? Like you love your crazy uncle, but you don't say, hey, listen, uh, Uncle Crazy, we're going to be doing family vacation. We thought you should plan it. Nobody lets a crazy uncle plan family vacation. Because like if you do, this summer, you'll be going to Tulsa, Oklahoma toward a Kleenex factory, right? So you, you don't do that. You know what? Let, let's let somebody else do it. We love you. You can go, Right? No, nobody lets their aunt who's had three DUIs drive the kids to Disney, right? Right? I mean, let's not be crazy here. I mean, I mean, listen, now, we love, listen, we love our dysfunctional family members, of course, but a healthy family draws boundaries. And listen, so does a healthy church. And we don't get to make up our boundaries. Our boundaries come from the scriptures. So consequently, guess what, beloved? In a healthy church, control freaks don't get their way. Gossip isn't tolerated. Division isn't accepted. Sin isn't ignored. And bullies never win. Additionally and finally, family, a sixth quality that makes a church a healthy family is this. Number six, number six, a healthy family comes together when it faces challenges. You ever notice this about healthy families, man? They just have this way of coming together when times get hard. When times get hard, see, see, here's the thing. When times get hard, it is either the worst of times or it's the best of times for families. You ever experience this? When there's a death, when there's a tragedy, when there's a trial, families either tend to scatter or they tend to come together. 
Beloved, here's the truth. Every single church will face its challenges. Sometimes those challenges will be difficult and painful, like when there's gossip or division inside of a local church that needs to be dealt with. Other times those challenges will be really exciting, like when the family like outgrows the house and we've got to build a new house so that we can get together and gather and make much of Jesus. Every church is going to face challenges. The question is simply this. When we do, do we do this or do we do that? Here's the point of all this, beloved. Listen, right here in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro was born into a brand new family. Brothers got a brand new spiritual family. And just so you know, Emmaus, if you are a follower of Jesus today, then according to the Bible, guess what? You also have been born into a huge family. Look around, everybody. Look to the side. Look, look, look around you. This is your family. Follow Jesus, man. Other followers of Jesus here. Guess what? This is your family. You're like, I didn't ask for this to be my family. Too bad. You don't get to pick your family, right? This is your family, according to the scriptures, your spiritual family. This is your family. You're really goofy, oftentimes dysfunctional, always imperfect, quirky, clumsy, saved by grace family. This is your family, beloved. This is your family. I'm your brother. This is your living room. This is our Ancestry.com results, right? And God is our perfect father. And it has all been made possible by the shed blood of Jesus. And how good is our Jesus? Let's pray together, family. Let's pray together. And family, those of you in here who are family, join together by the grace of Christ, faith in Jesus. These tables in here, our family table, we go every single week and we remember what Jesus Christ, the Bible calls our big brother, did for us on that cross. He lived the perfect life for us. He was betrayed at the hands of men. He died so that we might live. No one's ever loved like Jesus has loved and no one's ever been more willing to tell the truth like Jesus is willing to tell the truth. As always, maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you about something and you just need some time to pray. We're gonna have our ministry team in the back available to pray with you. We would love for you during this next song just to go and be prayed for by these people who love you. They're brothers and sisters. They're your family and they love you. As always, this time of communion is only for the family of God, those who have been saved by grace, whose trust is in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we get a family, that one of the implications of the cross of Christ and the resurrection and the gospel is that we gain a family, an eternal family, Brothers and sisters united in the household of God, led by the perfect Father. Jesus, thank you for what you've accomplished for us. We worship you and we pray it all to the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, uh, y'all sit down for a second. Got some great questions today as we talk about... uh, the church and family and, and, and how the, the church is a family and what God does there. I had some really awesome questions. So we'll throw the first one up there. Uh, thanks for sending these in too. I have a subordinate at work who is an open lesbian. How do I speak truth without violating the working relationship? Such a good question and a complex question. 
Um, here's what I would say, okay? And uh, I'm reminded of that, uh, that, that passage in the scriptures where the Apostle Paul says, um, here's what I say to you, not the Lord, but I, right? So it's like, what I'm about to say to you, this isn't, this isn't right, infallible. This is just your pastor riffing a little bit. Um, I would say don't do it at work, okay? I would say it's probably better to, uh, and probably even more Christ-like to say, hey, would you come to dinner at my house? Can I invite you to dinner at my home? Can we break bread together? Uh, it always strikes me. You ever notice Jesus didn't just hang out with sinners. He dined with sinners. Isn't that interesting? Jesus broke bread with sinners. By the way, can I just say this? There's a reason why Luke chapter 7 verse 34 says that Jesus is a friend to sinners, was a friend to sinners. And the reason is because he actually was, right? He actually hung out with tax collectors and sinners and spent time with them to the chagrin of the Pharisees and the religious folk. My, my thoughts would be, Invite that person to dinner. Even invite that person to church. Let that person know, hey, I, I, I just want to be your friend. I just want to be a friend and enter into conversations with them about life and about how the Lord has impacted your life and changed your life. But begin with friendship. Begin with love. Begin with common ground. Break some bread. Get to know someone. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, this is a person creating the image and likeness of God, I would even encourage you at first, like, like at first, listen, do away with the labels. Lesbian, gay, let's see him as person creating the image and likeness of God who Jesus deeply loves, right? See him through the lens of Christ and pray that God would give you the lens to see that because I don't know if you've noticed, but one of the things that culture does, the culture loves labels. Christian, fundamentalist, gay, straight, everybody goes in a basket somewhere and the baskets don't mingle. Y'all, that ain't, that ain't Bible. That ain't Jesus, right? So that's, that's what I would say. Um, it's just, again, just me riffing. Then what's the next question? Um, when people are seeking approval for their sin uh, from a believer, how do we respond in love but still be clear about what the Bible says? Man, that's really good. And I think most of us have had um, an experience like that. Some of us have been the believer looking for approval for our sin from somebody. Uh, what I would say is this. I, well, one of my favorite quotes from church history is when uh, uh, the great reformer Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms, if you're familiar with that at all, where uh, Luther is being held to account for like, his, what, his stance during the, uh, what begin, begins the Reformation. Uh, he's, he's basically given a chance. You recant. Recant what you uh, have, have taught. And, and Luther says, my, this quote, he says, my conscience is held captive by the word of God and I will not recant. Here I stand, I can do no other. And I love that, I love that idea. Luther's like, look man, at the end of the day, I'm held captive to God's word. This isn't even about what I think. This is about what God said and I'm held captive to that. It's the, it's the authority of scripture in our lives. So I think, look, as faithful believers, we never wanna backtrack on the authority of the Bible, ever. That's a bad place to be, right? We wanna be faithful to scripture. And, and by the way, being faithful to scripture does mean showing love to people. But it means being faithful to the scriptures and what the scriptures say. Um, God's kindness leads us to repentance, right? Um, I would encourage you to be reminded of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Are we showing the fruit of the Spirit towards people, but also being real clear about what the Bible says? Listen, we should never apologize for what the Bible says, y'all. This is God's word. This is the word. This is the word, right? And then, and then finally, 
Why was Moses bringing Jethro into his tent such a big deal? Um, and it was a big deal, namely because one of the things you find in the Old Testament, at least in the New Testament, is a, a, a Christian, listen, a Christian fundamental, a Christian characteristic that I feel like many times probably is lost in our modern day, fast-paced society, is the, the idea of Christian hospitality. Are we a hospitable people? Are we opening up our homes to people? I love that passage in Hebrews that says, do not, uh, do not quit showing hospitality to people because in doing so, some have entertained angels, right? I mean, that's a crazy thought. I mean, the, the Bible's clear. We should show hospitality to others. In doing this, Moses was showing great hospitality to Jethro. I want to I recommend a book to you, family, uh, that uh, we just recently led our whole staff through. In our staff meetings on Tuesdays, we go through a book together uh, all the time. And, and the, one of the books we recently went through was a book by uh, Rosaria Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Uh, some, some of y'all may know, some of y'all may have taken the uh, uh, summer special we just did where the Blancos led that summer special, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. You you need to read that book. It will blow your mind when it comes to Christian hospitality. Side note, it was written by Rosaria Butterfield, who had been a lesbian. God radically saved her out of that lifestyle, and he did it through Christian hospitality. He did it by a pastor and his wife just inviting her over when she was living that lifestyle, just saying, hey, we just love you, and we just want to be your friend. You're welcome at our table. And she goes through her whole testimony. It is amazing. So gospel comes with the house key. Read that book. Love you, family. Let me, let me pray. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, we love you. And we are blown away by the absolute privilege it is to be called by your name. Christians, follower of Jesus. Thank you that our righteousness is not of our own, Lord, for we have none. Our righteousness is found in you, Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you fill us as we seek to be your missionaries this week? And I pray it all through the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Love you, family. See you Sunday.